Welcome to Keeping Curious, the podcast that explores creative living through conversations with artists, designers and anyone in between. So whether you're just starting out, feeling stuck or a little lonely in the studio, I'm here to keep you company and keep you curious. Today I'm joined by my friend Rebecca Kelly. I've known Beck for nearly four years and our many conversations about the desire to live a more creatively fulfilling life were the idea and inspiration behind starting this podcast. We both worked in fine art publishing, looking after artists and all the people we spoke to had a different story about how they became professional artists. We were both creative in our own right, but felt stuck in our busy lives without an outlet for our own creativity on a daily basis. Our conversations continually spur each other on and Rebecca is now a successful commissioned artist in her own right. Since recording this interview, she has gone on to spy several local art galleries with her beautiful charcoal sketches. She's a big inspiration to me, so I hope you will enjoy this insight into her creativity. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honoured to present Rebecca Kelly. So, first question, what does creativity mean to you? I think it's using something that's a different energy. It's even thinking in a different way. So I think I went through a long period of thinking I was only being creative if I was doing a piece of artwork or if I was actually physically doing something from start to finish. And I think I spent years of frustration of feeling like I wasn't being creative, I wasn't doing anything. And... I think I wasn't because I was trying to focus it on one thing. Because mm. I'd been art trained, I always thought it had to be an art product. Yeah. It had to be something completely finished. And therefore, I had to switch creativity on and off for that period. And then you'd get stressed and it wouldn't work. Yeah. You couldn't get out of your day-to-day mindset. And then I've realised that, for me, creativity has to be part of an absolute everyday life. Yeah. Like whatever it Absolutely. might be, it's a case that whether I'm cooking a breakfast that's a little bit different, the way you dress yourself in the morning or what smells you decide to wear in terms of perfume, everything mm. is a creative decision and a creative expression of yourself and what you choose to do. Yeah, I think we talked about that quite a lot. Um, when I was kind of struggling with that and I think it's about redefining your success and I think I was in exactly the same place that I didn't feel creative unless I made something that I could put on the wall and I completely failed to recognise all the things that I do day to day and the things that not everyone does and the uh, the way you do dress your Christmas tree and the way that you pick out colours to paint your living room it's 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 all part of the same way of thinking and you don't realise that not everybody has it. Yeah. Because it's so much part of you that it's, it is how you think and it's just part of you. I think, like, some people absolutely have to go for a run or otherwise mm. they feel like they're going to go mad. I feel like I've at least recognised it in my day-to-day life from start to finish. There is always something creative in it. But... I'm at my happiest where I'm at least doing something in my day which is more focused on it, whether it's cooking a really lovely meal that just means I can zone out for a bit or whether it is drawing or whether it's just doing something with my hands. And Mm. I do almost get to the point where I've got itchy fingers that I've got to do 
something within my hands I've got I to always get that with. if you go to a studio and you smell the paints yeah because everything's so physical you realize so much with creativity is all the different parts of your senses whether it's mm. that's why you get you know some of you creative people get excited by food because it's it's smelling and seeing yeah. and colors it's the sights of it it's those thoughts of if you went to a Moroccan market how it would all the, the colors and the smells and the senses and then that's through everything. It's whether you're baking a cake or whether mm. you're, you know, I love using charcoals because it's so tactile and so physical and you're feeling that as you go. And you realise that that's almost becomes like, a, it sounds really stupid, but like a creative meditation because mm. using something where you're creative, it almost uses so many different parts of your brain mm. and so much of you physically that, you do then think in a different way because of it and you can zone things out mm, definitely. in a different way because you're being creative. Have you always been creative? Yeah, yeah. I, I think... I, d I don't know if that's just the way I was or if it was from family because my mum was a very, very creative person and from even early school reports that I found recently from when I was about five, it goes on about the fact that almost my ideas were always slightly bigger than I could actually achieve <laughs> um, because I'd always got such huge creative ideas that I wanted to get out, but I didn't always know how to go about it. Mm. And I think that's why I've always found it quite a constant struggle. Um, but I've always grown up with wanting to create either in the kitchen or I was massively into writing poetry and then everything was obviously art and design and drawing and colours and you know I think whereas most people found their childhood playing with brothers and sisters and out in the park and riding bikes all the rest of it I remember my childhood being obsessed with books with beautiful illustrations because they would take me into a different mm. world and I would always be carrying pens and pencils around with me I was a complete hoarder for anything that was like magpie like that I would have massive big boxes of shells and trinkets everything that I found everywhere that I had to collect because you might use at some point and yeah. they just look pretty in the boxes I once collected the um, ink balls out of fountain pens because I thought they'd be useful in projects but even now to fountain pens they're just so yeah, beautiful I love fountain you pens just, you just you want to use them and you want to just look at them because the writing's so much beautiful the way the ink flows and that's the way Going back to the creativity question, that's why you see things differently. Mm. You, you see colours of grass differently to somebody that yeah. isn't because you see the light and the way different. Yeah, of I grass saw that are. one kind of cartoon where it's got the colours for normal people and then it's got the colours for artists and yeah. it's about three million yeah. more different shades of peach and salmon and, and chartreuse. I, I just think I've, I've always felt like that throughout my childhood and growing up and my parents used to drag me to loads of antiques fairs and little bric-a-brac stores I just used to remember not thinking that it was a chore and it'd be like a little Aladdin's cave and it'd be what you could find in mm. there and I was obsessed with collecting really old postcards that people had, had written on like 100 years ago I didn't want anything that hadn't been written on I wanted the old scrappy ones yeah. where they've got a history to them and a story and you realise that the style of people's handwriting or mm. 
little drawings that are made on it, everything, that's that mark of that person. And I think it's that kind of creative going into history and yeah. what that, that creates and the memory that that creates. Do you think that's what led you to do art history? Probably. Um, it was never something that I expected to do. I thought I would probably be more in the design field than anything. Mm. Um, I don't think I ever thought of myself as a true artist. I wanted to do something that was, whether it was graphic design, interior design, photography, I thought it would be something creative but not completely artistic. And then I did my art foundation course um, and I felt really uninspired by really anything art school-wise. As I just Think didn't find it. it. No wasn't for me, I didn't find it an inspiring environment in the slightest. I found it was almost forced and somebody trying to force you to be creative just mm. doesn't work. And I thought, no, it's not for me, I've got no idea what I'm going to do, but I'm going to take a bit of time away and figure it out. And then I just realised I tried to put together all the things that I actually really loved and was obsessed by, and it sort of led me down the path to art history because it was the love of art it was the love of history and yeah you I've always, I've always been obsessed with that as well even going into an old state home or an old church it's the fascination with thinking about everything past, that's gone on in the past and the tiny intricacies of all that and I've always wanted to know more with that I've got a huge desire for the knowledge base of history have you um, always had a good imagination so when you go around the stately homes do you imagine well, yeah. what it used to be like I don't understand people that don't you just, you, <laughs> not everyone you does <laughs> but you can't help it can you it's mm. just it, it, I'm completely obsessed with that the, the, the smells of it the, the feel of it and you do feel like you are taken back so I think it's a bit like physical storytelling when you're there because mm. your head goes through that. so the thing that I've always found weird with those like you go around Stratford and you've got Tudor houses but you always imagine kind of Tudor type people living there and what yeah. their day to day life was, but the reality is Victorians lived there, yeah. And everyone, the 60s that mm. lived there, like it's had mm. this history of people, but you tend to kind of link it to kind of one, yeah, specific moment in history. Mm. Um, I always thought that was quite interesting, but I don't know whether that's kind of conditioning through watching films, maybe, and kind of what that era looked like, yeah. And but I think. It was also, the, the other part of it that I found fascinating with it all is I've always had a fascination for um, religion, how that connects to art. Yeah. I'm not particularly religious myself, I just find it fascinating. And the way all of that historical storytelling mm. through religion, through history, is the foundations of it were always through art. But and I also suppose that's, that's where your poetry comes in. Is that it's that you keep saying story, and I think that yeah. maybe that's your way that arts and creativity is a communication skill. It is because I think there's times where, you know, I I, I suffer with anxiety and I've struggled with depression. I think you don't always have the words to try and explain what what you mean and what you're feeling, and mm. you also don't have sometimes the mental space to try and work it out and anything where it is you being transported somewhere else 
that is a kind of therapy for yourself. And that's why I think you find so many people, whether artists or musicians, or whatever, they do use it as a kind of therapy. Yeah. Because it, it is probably just taking you to a different place. It's, it's storytelling for yourself as it's well. escapism. Yeah. 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 Um, or whether it was, you know, music and piano, singing, anything that I feel is that kind of escapism and just taking you to a different place, a different zone. Mm. So were you supported by your family to pursue creativity? Surprisingly, yes. Um, I don't don't think they supported my my, um, siblings in the same way with it. Um, And I don't know if that's because I was just adamant I was doing it. or I think also they knew that I got a good work ethic with it as well. I wasn't just doing it for the sake of doing it. And yeah. I never actually considered myself to be arty in the true sense of it. I think you get a, a stereotype of what somebody arty or creative is. And I don't mm. think I ever felt like I fit that. And I think a lot of times in society that's quite a negative Completely. stereotype as well. Completely. I find that growing up through school, if you say that you're into art, that people just assume it's the DOS subject and yeah. that you don't want to ha- achieve anything in your life. Yeah, and, um, and I think, you know, even down to even down to me doing history of art, there was always that stereotype. I mean, I, I went to a fantastic university with it and it was an unbelievably hard course and some and unbelievably intelligent people there. But we still always got the jokes, you know, that yeah. it's, you're doing art, what's history of art, what are you actually doing, what do you do with your day? And nobody can actually take it seriously, even now, I don't think. Mm. Um, and you just have to kind of laugh it off and ignore it. And, you know, I don't know if I ever knew exactly what I was going to do with it at the end of it, but it doesn't mean that I wasn't yeah. hard serious about serious. Um, and in the end, I think that, work ethic and what I wanted to do with it took me in a slightly different direction again I probably went more commercial than I was expecting yes yeah. it's about finding that balance in the middle mm. and I think I realized that I did have a mixture I was a creative person but I wasn't truly arty and I wasn't truly a business brain or anything I was just somewhere in the middle and I'm happiest in the middle yeah so what do you do now um, so I am an artist manager for uh, a chain of galleries and i found that it does allow me to use all the sides of my brain, if you like, of what I love to do. I find new artists, I develop them and I use it for commercial purposes, I suppose. Yeah. So it's, it, it is a commercial environment. It's a very office-based environment. But I found that I get a buzz from being in that, that environment and being with probably really competitive business brains and sales. And there is a great sense of everything from that as well as the very creative parts of it that I love as well. Um, and it's found a balance for me. But you don't just do that. You also have a cake business and do commissions. Yeah, I do a few other bits and pieces. <laughs> so how do you fit it all in? 
They're almost being constantly busy. I like being busy. I like mm. going from one project to another because I think every project brings out a different side of me. Um, and that's what I want because I don't want anything where it's just one dimensional. I don't want to just be doing the same thing yeah. day on day on day. I'd be bored stiff and I wouldn't feel challenged. I think every time I want to be, every day you want to do something a little bit different. And I think some days I wake up and I want to do a lot more of my own art and I'm desperate to do that. Other days I really want to be in the kitchen. Other days I probably don't want to be doing any of that at all. And Go to an art fair and find yeah, some new talent. It's, it just depends on what day. You can't always choose which day <laughs> that is. Um, but I do like having a lot of projects on the go and I do find... I, as a lot of creative people do, I work very well late into the evening mm. and doing different projects on the side allows me to do that and just have something that's for me and for myself as well. Yeah. So what would be your perfect creative day? What time would you wake up? What would you eat? Where would you be? What would you do? Mm. It can be complete fantasy. That's an interesting one. I Mine really wouldn't work because I'd start on a beach and end up in the National Gallery. Well, so. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in between, isn't it? Because I think you do do a bit of that Star Trek thing of where you yeah. go in, in the meantime. Um, yeah, I think my mind went straight to the beach, but not like not an idyllic yeah, sunny proper beach. British it's a beach. proper pebbly, everything, you know, a very kind of white interior house with beautiful sanded floors and have proper furrow and ball kind of seaside you know house yeah. to start off with be quite nice but okay no. so you're woken up in your furrow and ball seaside yeah. house yeah. that'd be nice is this are you first thing in the morning would you have a nice lie-in yeah unfortunately i'm not a morning person <laughs> i like the idea of it but i'm not a morning person um so no doubt i would stay in bed for quite a while and knowing me, I would have been up quite late the night before. So yep. um, it would be a late start, late breakfast. So what would you have for breakfast? Eggs. How? Poached eggs. Poached eggs, nice. See, poached eggs have to be my favourite. Um, yeah, poached eggs and toast. And then really, really, really good strong coffee. Okay. So it's the smell of coffee. So are we in the house at the moment? Are we yeah. in a studio? Are we in a library? Where, no, where are you I in think the house? Probably, probably start off in the house with that. Yeah. Then I've always found what I've always tended to do is probably back to student days and when you're trying to be creative and what you like to do, I've always been a people watcher. Yeah. And I've always been obsessed with the very European kind of culture, I guess, of cafe culture and people watching and sitting there with your coffee and your newspaper and watching exactly what's going on with the world and I find that very therapeutic and very helpful at the start of a creative process. Yeah. I probably always find myself in a cafe with a coffee somewhere okay. with a notebook and a pen and I've always got to be writing something down when it comes into my head because it pops straight back out again so it would be a case of writing and thinking and I think it would probably it takes me quite a while to work up to actually doing anything <laughs> <laughs> so you've woken up late yeah <laughs> you walk to a cafe 
You've scribbled a Actually, bit. Actually, saying that work ethic has to be very lazy. <laughs> no, but you did say it come, all comes later. So it does. At about midday. Yeah, probably. You, you leave in the cafe. Where are you going? I don't know if it would be a studio environment. I've always found if I was to produce really good work, if it was to be creative in terms of. It can be however you want it to well, be. Well, that's what I was going to say. To, to me, the, almost the rest rest of the day of doing nothing is still a form of creative, whether it's whether that is cooking my breakfast or going people watching. Of it, mm. my my mind is doing that storytelling again. I'm yeah. thinking about you're stimulating your creative mind. With it, and I think that's that's time I find myself just thinking about nothing, uh, everything and nothing. Um, but then in terms of actually a perfect creative day, I would want to be creative in terms of producing a piece of art at some okay. point. And for that, I, I don't think a studio works very well with me. Okay. I, I think because I find, again, it's down to that pressure thing, that thinks the same reason that I say I didn't like art school. I've never found it that this is a productive environment for experimenting or doing anything a bit different. Were you always quite tidy then? No, I'm not, I'm not a tidy person with it at all. I'm completely messy. Because I had to have a studio because I'd never be allowed to do it. Oh, I mean, that, that's, where, <laughs> that's where I struggle. Cause I struggle with that now because I've got a very tidy husband and I don't like being particularly tidy. So I do struggle. And part of me would love somewhere that I could do big, thick oils and just leave them up and not have to worry but about it. But it's not a studio. But it's not a studio. It, it somehow has to roll into a home environment yep. because I think... Otherwise, there's just something about it that puts a pressure in my mind that just doesn't work. Mm. Um, as much as it should be your space, and I completely get that for people that like it, that that studio is your space, yours to do with what you want, and it's your free zone. Yeah. I find my head does the complete opposite and almost you climb clams up. up. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always clammed up under that kind of pressure. So. I've felt like recently, you know, for the first time in ages, I've started doing my own work and it's it's really meant something to me. And I think that's because I didn't put pressure on it and because mm. I stepped back and was actually just tinkering away with something. And I think my most creative, most productive days are when I don't think it's going to be. Yeah. But do you think that recently you've kind of got into the groove because you don't like the anticipation of having to make something on demand when there is no demand but when you have a commission mm. I sometimes find the pressure of that daunting but you seem the commercial element of you kind of switches on yeah and I think that you can tailor what you're making to fit a brief and you hit the deadline and you've got a very kind of I think that's why I said I thought I'd go down the sign route because yeah. I've always worked well with and, and probably why I say I don't consider myself to be truly arty because I'm not someone who goes off and just does something for the sake of it and expressing myself in that way. But you did say that that's what you want. I know, because there's, there's a mixture. I do find you, I've got a bit of a paradox all the time because as much as I don't like loads of pressure on me, I can also be really, really lazy <laughs> if I haven't got some kind of rocket up me. So work on my deadline. Yeah. 
And you then, don't like going into the studio when you want to make something, but you're not making it for anything. That it feels quite self-indulgent. Perhaps, yeah. Um, I think somehow I've always worked better knowing there's some kind of end goal for it. Yeah. Um, it's and and it's something for for somebody else, and there's there's some kind of some kind of goal and idea there. I. I, I I don't know why it's a bit like with if I was playing piano, I've always got to have music there in front of me. My brain has to work to something. Yeah. Um, I'm not very good at just letting my brain go. Um, and I think that's where having a bit of a deadline, it has to be a deadline that I set. Yeah. That I know that I can kind of work to and that at some point during that time zone, I will feel in the right place to do this. Yeah, but do you think that the deadline allows you to be selfish? Because the deadline allows you to say, I can't do that today, I have to put myself yeah. first and be creative because I've got this deadline. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I've, it, as a lot of people that, that um, do commissions, kind of commercialing things, I was very busy over Christmas and I did not stop and I was doing artwork every single night and, and just really on it and I, I know I did start to reach complete burnout but then since I've backed off to try and go yeah I've, I've got a few weeks off here I'm just going to try and take some time and, and chill a bit I lose the fire behind me and I need it yeah um because then I've just got a habit of going okay do it tomorrow just, yeah <laughs> and it's just always the procrastinating side yeah of it, I've I definitely got that um and that is part of the reason why I set it up in that way because I know what I'm like and I mm. do tend to just put things off. Yeah. Um, and it stops you putting things off for too long. Mm. And that you have to work through that block, the yeah. block that I'm on about when you do walk into somewhere that's a studio kind of environment and that that thing that stops me, mm. I have to work through it. Yeah. Because there's somebody that wants this piece at the end of the day and I'm working for somebody else. So yeah. it's almost... Like, giving me that really big push that I need. So when you were doing, kind of, drawing every night for commissions, did you find that your work changed while you were doing it? daily. Yeah. Literally changed daily, because I think that's been the first time in, well, really, ever to, to that degree, I think, even more so than when I was at art school, that's been the first time that, Night on night on night, I was using the same material for the same yeah. kind of subject matter, but seeing the change and the development with it, and I was developing every single day, mm. and just learning something slightly different about how I was working every day, what worked for me, how I approached subject matter, what I was looking for, when I was looking through client photographs, which one would leap out at me and I would know would work for me and why and also to stop being scared of a blank piece of paper yeah so are you one of these kind of artists that kill the paper first or how how do you first start a piece so you do drawings and you use charcoal yeah but are you in a sketchbook are you on a pad no no I don't don't use any sketch pad any anything with that now um I tend to try and work well, I do work fairly big because I feel like you have to with charcoals to get the movement, to get any kind of expression. And I think they're a lot bigger than people expect when they see them digitally as well. Um, 
but I have to because otherwise you just can't get any movement in it. So I do tend to spend a lot of time going through photographs to try and see what's going to work. So how many would you ask a client to send you? As many as possible because I think for, for me at the moment I'm, I'm doing animals and I've, I've had some really lovely feedback from people that are saying how much I capture the character and the expression in them and I think that's a bit like obviously people that do portraiture when you see something in that person and it, it's much as it's not humans it's animals you still see something in their eyes and oh yeah <laughs> you see this personality come through and I think you do you do grasp that from the photos and then that tries to come through into the artwork so I want as many as I can sort of start to feel the animals daft as that sounds do you feel the pressure if someone just sends you one and says I want yeah. that picture oh god completely because I've had quite a few clients where they've um, wanted pictures of animals obviously where they've passed away and things they've only got very you know very very pixelated old photographs and it, Red it's eye tough and... <laughs> because that's the situation where you want to do a really good job for them and it's hard when you haven't got that kind of detail because it's not just the detail of the actual piece it's the detail of that personality of the animal I also think that's something that people take for granted with um, creative people that they think you can do the impossible (laughs) I've got this pixelated photo of a dead dog from the 80s turning the other way can you do his portrait please Uh, no (laughs) it's just things that you you can't you can't always do unfortunately and I have to try and be as honest as possible if it's you know um, if they're not great photographs I will explain that and say I'm more than happy to give it a go however the picture that you've seen over here it might not be like that Have because you're detail. not going to be able to achieve that detail but you do you do feel pressure with it and definitely the ones where you've got good photography from the start is a massive difference and when a client also lets you do what you want to do with it that trusts yes. you to say pick what you want do what you want with it and you know that's the dream <laughs> and that's that's brilliant because that does take off a bit of pre- the pressure because you know what you're doing you know where you're going with it, but you are not just doing a commission, a picture of that person's dog or whatever it might be. You are doing a piece that is yours as well. Mm. Um, and it's more natural. Then, so really. do you start straight in the charcoal? Do you mark it out in pencil I first? I mark out in pencil first um, and then kind of move things around. So I need to, especially if you're doing a few animals on the same piece or whatever it yeah. might be, you've got to match things up. Um Naturally, I do tend to go quite offset with my pieces and try and leave as much white space as I can. I love a bit of white space. Yeah, I, I know. It does tend to be something that a lot of people do, isn't it? But it's, it, I think at the moment, it, mine tend to be minimal background, quite offset. And I try and leave as much unfinished as I can if it's mm. down to my choice of how to work. Um. I would go as loose as I can out of it. I like to have areas really, really strong detail and then really draw out to have a real sketchiness and looseness to it because I think I've always absolutely loved that about... It's why I've been obsessed with sketchbooks of anybody's. I think a lot of artists are, but, you know, I've worked in the art industry for many years and although I love paintings, I love seeing artists' paintings and I love the texture where at least you can see where an artist's gone, the brush strokes yeah. and everything. Ultimately, when that artist brings in their sketchbook, that's when I'm really, really excited because 
you see an artist's personality, I think. It's yeah, that that's the behind the scenes. And again, I think you feel the history, and it is back to the history yeah. thing again, but especially with, with historical artists, if you go back and see any of their sketchbooks, it's like seeing their mind working. Yeah. Um, I think drawings really, really do that somehow. And I always wanted to do some kind of artwork where I am using my hands. I'm not just using a brush or whatever it might be. It's very, very tactile, mm-hmm. very felt, very natural. And, you know, my husband quite often watches me work. He says, how do you know where you're moving your fingers or when you're moving charcoal? How do you know where you're going? Because he can't see where I'm going with it. And you just kind of, you're feeling your way more than anything. Yeah. You are physically touching into the work and I, I love that element of it and I like somebody to be able to see where your hands have been and yeah. the lines that you've made and why. You know. Yeah, because they all tell a story. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> all ties together. I don't really realise so much about the storytelling but apparently I am. So do you keep... Um, <laughs> Sketchbooks yourself? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is that because you don't want to reveal your story? No. Um, I don't know why I don't keep sketchbooks, really. I think... I keep a lot of notebooks. I think it's, mine's almost the opposite. When, when it's that kind of thing with me, it tends to be written words and mm. scribbles. I know a doodler, you know, and it tends to be a, a lot of that. But when it comes to my actual artwork, I just feel like I go straight into it because I think almost, yeah, okay, maybe it is a revealing yourself thing in a way. Because I feel if I start off in a sketchbook and something's not working, it's not going right, I get into a negative frame yeah. of mind with it. Um, I want to go straight into a piece and kind of, you, you just make it happen and you make it work somehow. Yeah. And again, that's what I love about charcoal because it's constantly evolving. You can move things and change things. Do you feel like you can always rescue it, or if it doesn't go wrong, do you just throw it away? I mean, I've got to, you know, throw pieces <laughs> away. I think most people have <laughs> when when they're doing artwork. Because charcoal's um, pretty unforgiving. I don't know. Especially when you want a white space. I don't know. I because I think I layer up so much. I do feel like I've got room for manoeuvre. That's why even when I'm doing commissions, most of the time I'll send somebody a photograph when I'm um, basically finished. Yeah. I kind of say, if you want tweaks to be done from here, if you want me to change around a bit, I can. Um, I'd really struggle with that. You see, it doesn't bother me. And I think a lot of people, it does. I mean, my, my sister does an awful lot of artwork and she said this to me. She's like, I, I couldn't do that. Or don't you want to keep on hold of some of the pieces yourself? Don't you get emotionally attached to it? Mm, or do you get upset part. if somebody wants to move something around or whatever? I'm like, no, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Because I see that you're creating something for that person. I think that's what mm. I love about it. Actually, that is what I love about it. Because it's not, it's not doing it for me. You saying about going into the studio and it's a selfish space. Or don't you keep sketchbooks for you? So, like, I love cooking for other people. Yeah. And I love doing art for other people. I think there's a lot of people that just want to do it for them, and it's their process, I think that's really it's an internal thing. But I love I love the reactions I get. I you love play music seeing. for other people? No, I don't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's different. That's a stage fright thing. But yeah. But it, it, is, it is creating something for somebody, is one of the biggest gifts you could do for someone. Mm. You know, okay, yes, 
just people are paying me for pieces, but you're still creating something that's so special to them. Yeah. That I've had people in tears and that you're creating memory for them. Mm. And it's trying to, that's why you try and capture that animal so much is because it's, it's an animal that means so much to them mm. that you want them to be able to see it in their eyes on a, a piece of artwork that person doesn't want a photo of that animal on their wall so much they want something created and it's interesting how many people would rather have yeah. a piece of artwork rather than a photo of it because it's different because it's felt and I, I do love doing any of those kind of things for other people it's a bit like gift giving somehow so, and I think that's why it doesn't bother me doesn't, yeah. it doesn't bother me changing because you like to give the gift because it's yeah yeah Mm, that's not about like that, really. <laughs> <laughs> We've made a, a breakthrough. I, mean, I think we're pretty close to the end, so I just wanted to check if I've got anything else. Um, yeah, well, I suppose to try and keep it in theme of the podcast, what are you currently curious about? Oh, God, loads of things. It's, it's what, again, it's where I drive my other half mad. It's like we were watching a documentary on... Um, hidden cities of Italy the other day. Oh, that one's amazing. Uh, I watched well, that. Again, <laughs> I'm obsessed by, but I start going into it again and I'm watching it and I said, I'd really like to go back and do my MA because I and I want to do my doctorate because it's just fascination. Fascination with fascination with history, fascination with art, fascination with religion fascination with language it's all those kind of things that probably tie together for a lot of people really but um I'm fascinated and curious by doing that I'm completely fascinated by anything that kind of culture way when it comes to food and my curiosity with that and just learning new things all the time with it I feel like I have to stop my brain from going because there's so many things that I want to do whether it's doing all those things to eventually go and do my master's or whether it's being able to get myself in the zone where I'm brave enough to really experiment and start playing around with with paints again and start doing oils and I think I might be in experimentation with colour time possibly for me but it's a a confidence thing Mm. no it's not it's a commission thing if I commission you to do oil painting you'd do it for me yeah, there is definitely yeah, there is definitely that if if it's somebody that asks you to do it and it's for somebody else, then you go. I don't again, and it's also a bit of a challenge thing. You go, oh, I've never done that before, but I'll give it a go because yeah. it's it's something that's interesting and something that's new. And I think we're all like it, and particularly as creative people, that your mind goes to, what's next? What's next? What's next? Because yeah. you crack one thing or you learn one thing and yes you want to master that one craft but you want to learn the next thing I've I've always been fascinated by anything that's craft based I want to go and do ceramics I want to do jewelry making I want to do anything generally that involves my hands but also concentrates my mind with it yeah. but I'm always on to the next thing that I want to do and so there's a pretty long list of them (laughs) (laughs) haven't we all got a long list so just to kind of wrap it up and if you haven't got one that's fine but have you got a kind of quote that comes to mind that 
inspires you, has inspired you, kind of your motto? I might have to come back to that one. It's one, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I've got an obsession with Pinterest and the amount of quotes and things that I, I pin and that feel relevant to your life and the way you think. And it, I think it totally depends on what mood you're in and what you're thinking about at the time and what's relevant to you at the time. Yeah. And then you try and think of something that... Sums it all sums up. Sums it all up. And... It, I just feel like it's now an impossible. Maybe it's as simple as what's next. <laughs> Is your life's motto. <laughs> it probably feels like it a bit at the moment. I think I, I'm very aware that I'm almost, you know, always on to the next thing too much. And I'm back to the, the school report when I was five. It's like my ideas are quite often bigger and faster than I can keep up with. And I think I exhaust myself in the process. Mm. Um and you have to sometimes try and do a little bit less of what's next and do about what's happening now. Yeah. So it sounds like, and I, I've definitely had this myself, that it can become quite an exhausting process. I exhaust myself with it, completely exhaust What would your, with it. be your advice for someone that's, or your younger self, that's starting out and... Do you know, I would still say to do the same thing, as much as I think it's ridiculous sometimes and I wonder why I put so much pressure on myself and why I'm always trying to better myself, I guess, with it. I think that's the curiosity of life with it all, what yeah. we all want to do. It's, there's so many... I like there's so many places that I want to achieve and some of it will work and some of it won't, but if you don't try any of it, you're not going to know either way. So as much as it's exhausting, you know, what else are we going to do in life? Just sit doing nothing. And that's what I think the worst possible thing you can yeah. do. Um, I would much rather be knackering myself out and just trying, trying, trying. Um, and I think now it's taken me till my 30s to realise just give things a go. And I think it's the thing I've found hardest and always where I beat myself up of I would compare myself against everybody else and what they were doing, how talented they were, um, that whether it was money they'd got to throw at something or whatever it was, I would always look at everybody else. And I think it's taken me to my 30s to realise stuff what everybody else is doing, just look at what you're doing and mm. focus on what it does for you. Um, and I think that's exactly what I've done. I wish I'd done it sooner of actually everybody around you who matters will always support you with that and if they don't well they sure. shouldn't be in your life anyway it's not important and I think I would give advice to myself about just having the confidence to try yeah um and that you will not get anywhere if you don't try I've always wanted to be the best at everything I do and that's always made me not want to do it because yeah. in case I'm not the best and that's where I've actually realised, you know what, there will always be somebody better than you and there will always be somebody worse and you've just got to... But you're worse off not doing it. Yeah. yeah. you never experience it, you don't know. Well, that's a nice way to end things. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Keeping Curious Podcast, where creativity is explored and encouraged to help you enjoy a little more creative thinking into your everyday life. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do have some questions and some interesting people to talk to. If you have found value in this episode, please share with your friends, and by leaving a rating, you'll help others find it too. 
On Facebook, you can find us at Keeping Curious and connect with other creatives. This week, I'm opening my own library to run a swap shop, so if you see something that tickles your curiosity, comment below the photo with what you would like to swap for it. I'll be in touch with the best swap option and I'll review it on the website, keepingcurious.com. I'm your host, Polly, and if you would like to be interviewed on this podcast or have any questions for future guests, please get in touch via the website at keepingcurious.com or the comments section of wherever you downloaded this podcast. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care and keep curious.